uh, as those of you who are regulars know, uh, Bill and I are preaching through these seven uh, last words of Jesus spoken on the cross. And um, today, the, uh, looking at the third word that Jesus spoke. A very fitting word, especially considering that it is communion today, as I think you'll soon figure out. And our reading this morning is from the Gospel uh, of John, chapter 19, verses 23 to 27. And we read as follows. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said... They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and this is our text for this morning, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This is the word of the Lord. A woman once went to the police station, accompanied by her next-door neighbor and her best friend, to report that her husband was missing. It had been more than 24 hours since she had last seen or heard from him. The police officer asked for a description of her husband. And she said, well, he's 35 years old, 6 foot 4. He has dark eyes, dark wavy hair, a very athletic build, weighs about 185 pounds, is soft-spoken, and is very gentle and good with our children. Her neighbor and friend looked at her in shock, then protested and said, What? Your husband is five foot four, bald. He has a big mouth, and he's really mean to your kids. The wife replied, I know, but who wants him back? They say, you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family. And sometimes, sadly, that can be a real problem. While our families are meant to be a means of grace to us, sometimes families, which ought to be such blessings, can be such burdens. So much of the really sad and tragic stuff that can happen to us in life, happens in our families. Counselors will tell you that much of their practice involves helping people get over the damage done to them in their families. Now, oddly or not, family was often a problem for Jesus too. Although as an, as an important an emphasis... We often put on families in Christian circles. 
They were not Jesus' first priority. As a child, you may remember, he had issues with parental authority. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, he asked. A frantic Joseph and Mary, when they scolded him for worrying them half to death for not following them home to Nazareth, hanging out at the temple instead and arguing theology. Son, why have you treated us like this? What did Mary and Joseph do to deserve a know-it-all teenager like Jesus? When his public ministry got started, he thought nothing of tearing apart a family business. Follow me, he said to brothers James and John, demanding that they abandon their aging father and join him instead. And writes Matthew, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I wonder how Father Zebedee felt about Jesus. As one old preacher put it, Jesus broke the hearts of many a first century family. When Jesus was about to send his disciples out to preach and heal in Galilee, he warned them, he said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother. And so he did. So he still does. Author and preacher William Willimon wrote, This had to be the reason Norman Rockwell never painted Jesus. And who can forget the time when Jesus was in a full house teaching a crowd of strangers? The good news of the gospel and word came to him. Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus and his family were not exactly the first century equivalent of that old Brady Bunch. So what does all this mean? That family and family values are no longer important? No. No, it's all about perspective. It's all about a new definition of family, which is what comes to us in Jesus' third word from the cross, the first word addressed to those who loved him, to those who love him, to us. It comes to us only in John's gospel, and in John's gospel, unlike the others, Jesus is nobody's victim. He needs no help carrying his cross. Nobody mocks him as he hangs on the cross. Jesus is in charge all the way. John's gospel worries less about him and more about those he is leaving behind. What will happen to his disciples? What will happen to his mother? In those days, a mother's children were her medical services plan, her social security, and her pension, all rolled up in one. This is only the second time we meet Jesus' mother Mary, actually, in John's whole gospel. The first was three years earlier when she pestered her son about the shortage of wine at that wedding in Cana. Dear woman, he said way back then, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Now, however, 
It has. Except that it is the wine of his blood that is running out this time, right where Mother Mary can see it and smell it. John tells us she is not alone. Her sister is there too, along with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the wife of Clopas. The disciple whom he loved is also with her. A man who was never named in John's gospel, and whom most Bible scholars now agree, is the gospel writer John himself. His only identity in John's gospel is that Jesus loves him. We don't even know why. Perhaps it's his loyalty since he's the only one of the male disciples who was there. Which was risky. The women aren't in nearly as much danger as John would have been. A woman's testimony didn't hold up in court anyway. She's just a woman. They weren't likely to be stopped and questioned. But he is, especially if he looks like a Galilean. Where are the others? Safe somewhere. Oh, and guilty. Which may have taken a load off of Jesus' mind since he doesn't have to worry about them. But may also have hurt him as much as the nails because they would not follow him all the way. Well, truthfully, of course, we don't know any of this. We can only speculate. All we know is that Jesus concerns himself with those who are there with his mother, whose face, one imagines, is etched with the pain of watching her son dying on a cross, and with the disciple whom he loved, who had appointed himself as her bodyguard. Although they are near enough to hear him, he doesn't seem to see them at first. There's a lot going on after all. Soldiers are dividing up his clothes into four pieces, one for each of them. Passers-by are straining to read what the sign over his head says. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Chief priests are arguing with Pilate that he should change what that sign says. But finally, at a certain point, Jesus sees them. And when he does, he speaks. He looks at his mother. And he says, woman. The same thing he called her before at the wedding. Woman, here is your son. Then he looks at the disciple standing beside her and says to him, here is your mother. And says John, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Woman, here is your son, here is your mother. In the words of one writer, it is a gesture of surpassing sweetness. It is also a surpassingly odd thing to say. He gave Mary to John and John to Mary, but they are not even related. That Jesus placed his mother in the care of anyone at all, of course, is our clue that she is a widow. Although her husband Joseph is mentioned twice by name, he never shows up in John's gospel at all. He had obviously died by the time Jesus reached adulthood. 
That makes Mary, of course, a widow whose status in that culture would depend on the surviving members of her husband's household. If she belonged to no one, she'd be responsible for herself, which is fine if she is wealthy, not so fine if she is not. Left on her own, she would be left eating other people's leftovers for the rest of her life with no meal to protect her from the cruel things people often said and did to widows back then. But she was not on her own. Mark's gospel tells us that when Jesus first preached in his home synagogue of Nazareth for the first time, they were not impressed. Who did Jesus think he was? Isn't this Mary's son, they asked? And then, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. The point is, Mary had other sons into whose care Jesus could have given her. Why didn't he? You could argue it was because they weren't even there at the cross. Because of fear, perhaps, or their old dislike of Jesus. You could also add, as John 7 verse 5 says, that even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. Not yet. And not only is that true, that, I think, is just the point. Jesus is saying more than, John, do me a favor and look after mom when I'm gone. He is saying to Mary, I am giving you a new son. And to John, I'm giving you a new mother. The one who so disrupted traditional families during his public ministry is on the cross forming a new family. While the principalities and the powers believe they are tearing him and his family apart, Jesus is quietly putting a new family together. Although his enemies will succeed in killing him, he will leave no orphans behind At the foot of the cross, the mother of the old becomes the mother of the new. The beloved disciple becomes her new beloved son. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. From that time on, never again could anyone say family without followers of Jesus thinking church. You notice Jesus' words are a statement of fact. Not, well, woman, why don't you take John to be your son now? No, woman, here is your son. And to John, here is your mother. That is, Mary and John and every believer to follow, all those for whom he was crucified, are now related to each other by and in his blood. In a very real sense, Jesus' third word could be considered his last will and testament. And if you ask what it was that he left us, the answer is simple. He left us each other. At the foot of the cross, we who thought we were so different because of race, because of gender, because of clan, for once stand together, crying in unison, Crucify him. 
And from the cross where we crucified him, Jesus looks at Mary and John and he places them and all believers to follow into a new family that is over 2,000 years old. With millions upon millions upon millions of brothers and sisters, living and dead, called the body of Christ. And we who so long for togetherness, a sense of belonging, community, true family, are brought together. Not by our great loneliness, but by God's great love. Taking Jesus' words seriously, every worship service should or could really begin with the words, Good morning and welcome home. What it all means is that our identity, our unity, our relationship is focused on the cross of Jesus. I am not, first of all, the son of Lomert and Alice, husband of Diane, father, grandfather, preacher, marathon runner, C2C cyclist, avid reader, mediocre golfer, etc., etc. That is part of who I am. Don't get me wrong, I love my wife. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. Like most of us, I would do anything for my family. I would die for them. And though I am not violent by nature, usually, if necessary, I would kill in order to protect them from serious harm. But ask me who I really am. And my first and foremost answer is, I am Bert. I am a believer in and a follower of Jesus I am a child of God, and I am a member of the family of God. As Christians, we find our primary identity not in ethnic origin, not in gender sameness or difference, not in shared experiences, not in similarity of age or occupation, not in likes or dislikes, not in like-mindedness, a word I can't stand, or unlike-mindedness. We find our primary identity, the one thing that unites us all, in spite of anything and everything, beneath the cross of Jesus. Here is your mother. So those of you who are younger, look around at the older people here in church today. Anybody over, uh, let's say, 50 Maybe you're sometimes tempted to write us off as over the hill, clueless, totally. But we are your spiritual mothers and fathers. We have provided the guidance and the vision that make it possible for you to be here today, to be taught in Christian schools, to be involved in your church family, with our youth ministries. It's fun, it's learning, it's mission trips, all of that. You cannot ignore us or say that we don't matter. Jesus says, you belong to us and we belong to you. Here is your son. And so those of you who are older, maybe you look at the younger generations and sometimes you just shake your head. The beat of their music, the color of their hair, the facial hardware, all involved in computers, MP3s, Playstations, and who knows what else some of us don't have a clue about. And all the different things they struggle with in our culture that you and I never had to deal with when we were their age. 
How easy it is to shrug our shoulders and ignore them or look down at them. Except that as you turn to leave, Jesus taps you on the shoulders and points to them and says, here is your son, here is your daughter. They belong to you and you belong to them. So we love them. You pay attention to them. Do not ever make decisions in the life of the church as if they are not there or they don't count. I think of the missionary who took up a collection once in one of our churches for the children of Haiti. The plate was passed, the offering was counted, but it was not enough, thought the missionary. And so the missionary said, I'm going to pass the plate around one more time. And when I do, she said, I want you to pray one more time that Jesus will help you to recognize the faces of your own children in Haiti's children. We are family, you see. Jesus gave his life to make us family, and he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. If Jesus gave his life to make us family, then we should learn to live and love that way. Old and young, male and female, married and single, Canadian, European, Arab, Asian, African, you name it, all of us family in Christ. Will we, do we act on that? When you come to worship and you look at the liturgy for the service, is it to see if things are exactly as you like them? And if not, you will start to grumble or give thanks. You will start to grumble or you will give thanks. We have a diversity of people within God's family also here at Willoughby and pray that many others of those will be blessed, even maybe if you aren't so much. When you leave here and meet for coffee, would you consider spending a few moments talking to somebody other than one of your family or close friends? Have you ever opened your home to someone new for a cup of coffee or a lunch of soup and buns? When you pray at home during the week, do you also take a moment and remember those mentioned in the bulletin who have specific needs or joys in their lives? Well, no doubt you can think of more and better ideas for taking each other into our homes and hearts and lives as family. However it happens, let's just make sure it does. Of course, if the family you were born into can be a pain, so can the family Jesus adopts us into. One of the toughest challenges of being a Christian isn't Jesus, just Jesus, it's his friends. Writer Flannery O'Connor, returning from church one Sunday, wrote, Although you see several people you wish you knew, you see thousands, you're glad you don't know. So you look around, you hear. At all of us who are gathered at the foot of the cross, many of us, people whom you hardly know, much less have much in common with, and still we are family gathered and formed by the one who had no conventional family, who, with no apologies here to author Dan Brown of the Da Vinci Code fame or others like him, fathered no children, yet makes all who believe children of God and members of the largest family the world has ever known. The good news of this third word from the cross 
is that no believer is ever without family on earth. All loneliness and abandonment have been removed by the one who out of love stood utterly alone and abandoned for us. Utterly alone. Because what else does this third word teach us about Jesus? That he took his responsibilities seriously. Yes, also the ancient promise to honor our mother and our father. As radically as he broadened the definition of family, he did not mean to say we could ignore or neglect our own families. God still intends our own families to be a means of grace and blessing to us. When Jesus saw Mary at the cross, he addressed her as woman rather than mom, because he had come to be more than her son, more beautiful yet than that relationship between a mother and her child is a relationship with our Father in heaven. And this is what he had come to give also to Mary. But how could he forget that for over 30 years, Mary had been his mother, that she had cared for him and loved him as such. And so now, while he knew he had to be her savior above all, he still made sure she would be provided for once he was gone. Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. While our relationship to God comes first in all circumstances, his command still stands, honor your father and your mother. Jesus did. He loved his mother to the end and set a clear example for all of us. And oh, how he loved us to the end. Woman, here is your son, here is your mother. In this third word, you see finally one more step on Jesus' journey of suffering for your and my sin. While it is true that Jesus came to be the Savior also of his mother, Mary had carried Jesus in her womb for nine months. She had taught Jesus to walk, to talk, to pray. She had often comforted Jesus in her arms when he was hurt, when he was sick. She had fed Jesus. She had given him a loving and a secure home that Mary was his mother. And now what do you see happening here that because of our sin to make us a family of God, Jesus had to break all of his family relationships and be utterly alone. In the beginning, Jesus broke the relationship with heaven. He left all that glory behind to become one of us. Throughout his ministry, he suffered the pain of rejection, of hate, as he got closer to the end, to the cross. Those who once sang Hosanna began to form the mob that shouted, crucify him. The night he was arrested, his disciples all deserted him. And now he had to break the relationship that is so important and so beautiful to so many of us. The relationship of a child with its mom. 
Jesus was not inhuman after all. He wasn't uncaring or indifferent to this relationship. He loved his mother deeply, as I hope, trust most of you, most of us do or did. But now he had to say, I cannot be your son anymore. He would be her savior, and that was far better. But that was not easy for Jesus. And ultimately, that same dark Friday afternoon, as you know, he would have to break his most important relationship with Father in heaven. Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. The last painful moment, step rather, to the moment when hell laughed at him and even heaven, even heaven shunned him, which wrung from him that soul-searing cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? So that nothing in all creation not your sin or mine, not death, could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? So that you and I, even in imperfect homes, might experience a love relationship with our parents and with our children here on earth. Relationships ruled by Jesus' love and grace, teaching us to accept each other and forgive each other and encourage each other to grow our most important relationship, our relationship with the Lord. Why? So that you and I could know and experience the love relationship of our family in Christ and never have to be without family on earth, even if we have no earthly family anymore or no earthly family where the love and the grace of Jesus rules everything. Thank God. It's Friday. Thank God for Good Friday. And welcome home. And welcome now also in just a moment to the most popular and important place of home, a table where we gather as brothers, sisters, mothers and fathers and children around a table, the table of the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have called us to be family, your family. We are so grateful, so grateful what Jesus did for us. And as we now celebrate that together around the table, Lord, may we love Jesus that much more, and may we love each other that much more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.